A couple of months ago, a friend of mine invited me to go house hunting with him. And, and we went to this one house, and uh, we looked it up on Zillow beforehand. It looked like it was pretty good. We got there. It looked good on the outside. I don't know if you've had this experience before, but then we walked in, and it was just a mess inside. You could tell that that house had seen better days. I mean, there was chipped paint on the walls. Doors were dented. There was, there was outdated carpet all over the place. And there was a kitchen that looked like it hadn't been updated for decades. And as you walked out of there, all you could say was, man, this place has definitely seen some better days. And that's kind of what the church in Sardis was like in the first century. It was like that house. It was, it was, a, it was a city, the city of Sardis, was one that had definitely seen better days. And if you don't know, Sardis used to be a famous city in the ancient world. And it was important for trade and for politics. It was a capital for a while for multiple empires. And it was a good spot strategically for, for defense because it was a hard city to take over and invade. And it was historically wealthy. In Sardis, they, they first made the gold currency, like coins. Uh, it's the first place where those were kind of used and manufactured and made for mass use. But once the, church, once the city of Sardis entered into the first century, they hit a rough patch. There was an earthquake that devastated the city. There was social and economic and political change as the Roman Empire took over the area. And Sardis ended up becoming a city that had definitely seen some better days. But there's still a large Christian population in the church of Sardis. There's still a large group of Christians that were there, and there was a large church. And it seemed from the outside that 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 this church was vibrant and it was living and they were doing all sorts of great things for their city and for the community. But as you might be able to tell from the reading, Jesus had something else to say about it. This is what Jesus says to the church in Sardis. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of of my God. I mean, talk about a bad day. Getting a letter from John the Apostle, the last guy, the last eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, John sends you a letter from Jesus that says, you're dead, signed Jesus. That's a bad day. And the fact was that, that Jesus said this because it was true, because Sardis was a dead church. Jesus calls out Sardis specifically. He specifically says that they're dead because their works were lacking, because their works were not complete in the sight of God. And you can, it it just goes to show that you can do all the right stuff. You can follow Jesus' law to the letter, his teachings. You can do all that stuff. That's great. But if you don't have faith in there, faith in Jesus, if that's not the center of your life from which all of these actions come from and flow out of, then you really don't have much at all. And you're dead. And now, let me be clear. It's good to do good things. I like it when people do good things for me. I'm sure you like it when people do nice things for you. And God likes it too. He likes it when we love each other and when we take care of each other. In fact, he commands us to do that. And so those are really good things to do. And you should always try to grow and walk in your faith and improve in doing what God commands you to do. But 
if you make those actions, that outward expression of your faith, if you make that the core of your faith, then you're in trouble. Because you're not relying on God anymore, you're relying on yourself. Our identity as Christians doesn't rest on our actions, but it rests on Jesus. And if you ask the Christians in Sardis, what makes you a Christian? According to this letter, in all likelihood, they might say something like this. What what makes us Christians is that we feed the hungry, we give to the poor and to the needy, we help the sick, and we follow the rituals and traditions of the church. We do all of those things. But according to this letter from Jesus, it sounds like they wouldn't say, because Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we confess that. At least, if they did say that, underneath they would really be leaning on their own actions, on their own works, and depending on those things instead of on Jesus. Their actions were the center of their faith, not Jesus. And if you start pointing to yourself and to what you do, then you're not pointing to what Jesus and he's done for you. And that's a problem. And that's a sign that you're dead or dying. So as the church almost 2,000 years later, here in Houston, Texas, we have to ask ourselves the same question. What makes me a Christian? Ask yourself that. And think about it. If someone from your work or from your friend group or a family member or even maybe your kids, if they asked you, what makes you a Christian? What would you say? Or what have you said in the past? What makes me a Christian is, is it going to church every Sunday or even just on Christmas and Easter? Is that what makes you a Christian? Or does treating people with love and kindness, is that what's at the core of Christianity? Is it volunteering at church every single Sunday or as often as you can? Is it following all the traditions of the church that you grew up with and that you now want to pass down to future generations? Is Christianity all about those things at its core? Or at its core, is it believing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I think we all struggle at times. We all struggle with allowing our outward actions to stand in the place of true faith, true saving faith in Jesus. And this problem, this problem that we run into, however we do it, it can lead to multiple versions of Christianity that's, that's unauthentic. And what I mean by that is that it's, it's essentially fake Christianity. It's Christianity that doesn't have Jesus at the center of it. It's faith where Jesus is not the center. And this can pop up in a couple different ways. This can pop up in a form of, of moral Christianity, and, and moral Christianity says that, that Jesus is a great teacher and a great example to live by, but he's not exactly my Lord and Savior. And it reduces, it reduces Christianity to a moral code rather than making Christianity what it is. The story of how Jesus came down and saved us from all our brokenness and from all our sin. And when you ask someone, who, who adheres to this, this idea of moral Christianity, what makes them a Christian, in all likelihood, they'll say it's, it's living up to the code of ethics that the Christian faith has. 
instead of relying on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then there's a form of cultural Christianity that we can adhere to. And that's when you allow the culture around you to dictate what you believe and what you think about Christianity. And so you, you allow all these other people and the culture at large to define Christianity for you instead of listening to Jesus' teaching and God's word on the matter. And, and this can be a pretty dangerous thing because it can look like you have Jesus at the core of your faith, but when your faith boils down, just boils down to, to only listening to KSBJ radio and to saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays and throwing up some, some Bible verses on your social media feed every once in a while, if that is at the core of what it means for you to be a Christian, then that's a problem. Not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but when they're at the core of your faith and not Jesus, you're making the same mistake as the church in Sardis. And then there's a benchmark Christianity that we adhere to, where, where you use a spiritual ruler to measure how Christian you are. You say, oh, I see the Holy Spirit working in my life in these different ways. That must mean I'm a really strong Christian. That must mean I have really good faith. Because what you're doing there is you're putting the emphasis on your action and not on Jesus' action for you. And if you ask someone what makes them a Christian in this unauthentic form of Christianity, they might say, well, what I'm doing right now, my works that I'm doing, the action that the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And it's a good thing. It's a really good thing to do good things and to allow the Holy Spirit to, to work through you to serve other people. But the core of your faith is Jesus, not what you do. And in all of these ways, and, and many more, what we're really doing, what's at the, the heart of this problem, is that you're placing the emphasis on yourself when it comes to your faith. You're putting the emphasis on yourself and not on Jesus. You're trying to make yourself matter more and Jesus matter less giving yourself more authority and Jesus less authority over your life. And it's a problem of making Christianity and your faith self-centered and not Christ-centered. And if you're doing that, then, the, then you need to listen to what Jesus has to say here because that's exactly what the church of Sardis is doing. And we're all guilty of this in little ways and maybe in bigger ways but we all do this even if we don't recognize it. If we start going down that path, if we start focusing on ourselves more than we focus on Jesus, then we're starting to die. And if you don't believe me, believe Jesus. Not only does Jesus address this problem in the church of Sardis, but he also addresses this problem with the Pharisees because they're very similar. You see, what the Pharisees were doing is they were taking all their works. They were taking all of God's law and they were following it to the letter. And so they were building up this pile of works that made them look good in God's eyes and in the eyes of everybody around them. And they weren't relying on God. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And when you try to make yourself matter more and make Jesus matter less, you end up being just that, a whitewashed tomb, looking good on the outside, doing all the right stuff on the outside, 
but on the inside, you're dead. If you find yourself in that place today, if, if you can think back and see how you might have focused more on yourself and your faith than on Jesus and making him the rock and the grounding that your faith stands in, then remember the kind of God that you have. And the truth is we all deal with this problem. But thankfully, you have a God who can bring dead things to life. This is what Jesus says to the church. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. This is what Jesus said to the church almost 2,000 years ago. And this is the same thing that he says to you today. He says to stop trying to make yourself worthy. Stop trying to get your identity from what other people are telling you or from what you do and receive the identity that I have freely given you. Stop trying to meet the standards of other people, of the world, of the culture, even of yourself. Stop trying to, to make yourself matter when it comes to your faith and to your relationship with God because God's doing all the work. Simply trust in Jesus and what he has done for you and the title that he has given you, his own title of guiltless, loved, worthy child of God. That's what Jesus gives to you in your baptism. And if you trust in Jesus, if you trust in him, you'll no longer be dead in your faith and you won't stay dead in the grave, but instead you'll be alive again. You won't be a whitewashed tomb anymore, but you'll be a living person clothed in white, like Jesus says. And that's how Jesus ends this letter with this promise. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before, his father, before my father and before his angels. And now, now what, what Jesus is saying here is that he's going to give you a white robe, okay? And this white robe in Revelation, it's kind of like the dress code for eternity, okay? It's what everyone who gets to live with God forever gets to wear. And this white robe is symbolic. <clears throat> and it symbolizes, what it symbolizes is the, the righteousness that Jesus has won for you, the glory that he has given you, the innocent decree that he has declared upon you that you are not guilty. That's what this robe represents. It represents Jesus's work on the cross for you, that he died and rose again so that even though you will die, he will raise you back from the dead to life. And that's what that robe symbolizes. And so in other words, Jesus is going to wrap you up in everything that he earned for you. Eternal life, forgiveness, life with him forever in his kingdom. He's going to wrap you up in that. And he's going to make sure your name is on the list to get into eternity. Because this book of life, it's, it's the, the registry for entry into the kingdom of God. It's everybody who's ever going to live with God forever in his presence. That's what this book of life is. And Jesus is going to make sure your name is written down in there. 
And he's going to vouch for you himself before God and before all heaven. He's going to say, that guy right there, he's cool. He's with me. I got him. Or, or her over there, I have a robe with my name on it for her. She's with me. She's with me. She's cool. They are worthy and they belong here with me in my kingdom forever. That's what Jesus says about all those who trust in him. He says, they are worthy and they belong to me because of what I've done for them and because of nothing that they have done themselves. Because in the new world, there's no room for your accomplishments. There's no room for your earthly achievements. And there's no room for you to prove yourself to anybody, especially to God. You can't bring all that stuff with you. Because you need everything you need, Jesus is going to give to you. He's going to wrap you up in all of it. You don't need to bring any of this stuff. You can leave it in the grave. Because Jesus has life, forgiveness, meaning for you in his kingdom with him forever. All right. I'm going to ask you all to take out your phones for a minute. Okay? Just take out your phones. This is the last thing I'm going to ask you. Take your phones out. And what I want you to do is go to your notes section. I want you to put what you see on the screen into your notes. Okay? And what you see on the screen is a note titled, Because of Jesus, dot, dot, dot. Because of Jesus, I am loved, I matter, I'm worthy, and I belong. I want you to put that in there. And every time you feel that, that twinge of pride, or you feel like you failed miserably and there's no way you can come back from the mistake that you made, when you feel as though you have to prove yourself by your actions, when you feel as though you have to prove yourself to God, like, like there's some, some bad blood right there and you have to make that right again. Whenever you feel that way, I want you to open up your notes and I want you to remind yourself of these things. And I would even challenge you, like I'm going to do for the next month, just look at those things when you wake up or when you go to bed. Because what's the first thing when you wake up, you do when you wake up anyway? You look at your phone, right? That's what I do. So instead of scrolling Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is that you do, take a look at your notes and remind yourself of these things. That because of Jesus and his work for you, you are loved, you matter, you are worthy, and you belong with him in paradise forever. Remember that, that house I was talking about? The one that was falling apart and had definitely seen better days? My friend didn't end up buying that house. It wasn't worth his time, his effort, his energy, his money to put into it. It would have been a bad deal. Truth is, you and me are kind of like that house. We're a bad deal. No one wants the best that we have to offer. And there's no amount of remodeling. You can't, you can't take out the carpets and put in new ones. You can't put in a new kitchen. None of that is going to help. Nobody wants to buy that house. No matter how many times you paint the wall or redo the ceiling. Except for Jesus. Jesus wants to redo that house. 
And in fact, he's already bought that house. And it doesn't even matter what you do to it. He wants that house as is. And he's coming back. And he has some work for you to do, right? You can get started on cleaning up that house for him. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to flip it. He's going to make it into something completely beautiful and completely new. And that's what he's going to do for you. He's going to return. He's already bought you. He's already laid his claim upon you. He's going to return to make you into something new, into something beautiful. And he's claimed you, and he's bought you, and he's coming back soon so that he can take you with him into the place that he's prepared for you so that he can live with you in his presence forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here today to this place, to receive the gifts that you have to give us, to be reminded of how much you love us, how you have made us lovable, how you have made us important, and how you have made us matter, even though we really aren't important. We thank you for making us worthy of things that we don't deserve. And we thank you for giving us a place of belonging in your presence forever with you. We thank you for all those things, Lord. We ask that you would strengthen us in our faith, that you would help us to stop looking to ourselves or to other places or to the things that we do, and that we'd start looking to you, that we'd always turn back to you and the love that you have to give us. We pray that you would help us to do this today and until the day your son returns to bring us back to you. In your name we pray. Amen.